So today we're talking walking in the spirit. Um, oftentimes this walking in the, in the spirit, um, we, we've had this imagination where people are in church and they're just, they're walking in some kind of aura or some kind of um, dimension that other people are not walking in. And um, whether it's, um, you know, trying to discern things or whether it's trying to uh, uh, demonstrate some kind of like, oh, I'm praying, I'm fasting, you know, I'm walking with the Lord. It's this very mystical way of explaining walking in the spirit that you've seen, especially in charismatic circles where people who traditionally believe in justification by faith, you know, where they do have some sort of a mixed message where it's, you know, the spy works halfway, right? But it starts in grace and it kind of ends in works, right? That The charismatic circle is kind of known for that, where you see a lot of like uh, 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 spiritual things happening, right? And they use those spiritual things to validate themselves as a church. Oh, you know, we're a saved church or we're from, we are from God because God does miracles here. It's like, no, 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 actually, let's take a step back. Miracles are not an indication that you are actually right with God or that you have any standing because faith works. Faith works in, in any situation. It works. If it's real faith, it'll work even without God. God made us creatures to be able to have faith, right? And so, um, so much so that we, we create realities in our own head about how life works. And literally, that reality comes to life and we live in it. Even if it's not true, even if it's not fruitful, right? You see, uh, sometimes when you're pessimistic, the negativity that we, we breed, we start seeing negativity in everything. And then it's easy to kind of run it full circle. And then when the negative things happen, it certifies itself. It's a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you think negative, you feel negative, everything's negative. And then when negative happens, you just, you're living in this reality. Is this the real reality God has for you? No, but you're by faith, even in negative things, you are creating this space that you live in that really isn't a blessed space, but nevertheless, people live in it. It's a, it's a place that we can go in our mind and create. Now, um, so when it comes to walking in the spirit, we're going to start at Romans um, 714. I'm just going to kind of read through. Um, I do have some stuff highlighted. So if you can't see the scriptures, maybe pull them up on your phone. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, and I'll kind of go between King James and, and the New American Standard. Um, Romans 714 says this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. Then here comes the great battle that Paul talks about. For what I am doing, I do not understand. He doesn't understand this battle that he's about to have. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So he doesn't understand why. He, he, he doesn't understand completely why. He's doing the very things he hates. Because he's saying here, I am not practicing what I would like to do. That means he has good intentions. He's having these good intentions, but he doesn't know how to practice them. And he says he ends up doing the very thing he hates, which is the opposite of his intention. So verse 16 says, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. So he's saying that if he sins, right, if he ends up doing what he doesn't want to do, he agrees with the law. Confessing that the law is good. So in his heart, he knows the law is good. In his mind, he knows the law is good. 
He knows it's good. He knows those are the right actions to have. But he's saying, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So he says there's two things happening. There's the willingness to do the good, okay? But the ability to do it is not there. Then he says this, For the good that I want, I do not. But I practice the very evil thing I do not want to do. So imagine like a preacher coming up and saying, you know, like, guys, I'm struggling because there's certain evil that I don't want to do, but I'm doing it. There's certain there's certain amounts of of sin that I want to do that I I don't want to do. But I'm doing evil things. So imagine literally like someone who who shares the word of God, because this is Paul an apostle of God, chosen of God to basically start churches all through uh, uh, the world in the, in the, the known world of that time. And he's saying, but I practice the very evil thing that I do not want. Put that in English. I'm doing the very evil things that I don't want to do. This is from a man of God. Okay. So we can all like, I think, relate with this battle when there's a desire to do good, we're not able to do it. We fall. And every time we refrain from do, trying to refrain from doing bad or stop ourselves from doing bad, we end up doing it anyways. And so Paul is having this battle. So um, Romans 7.20, as it continues on, he says, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then a principle that evil is present, with, present in me, the one who wants to do good. So he's saying, I'm the one, I, I'm, I'm someone who wants to do good, but evil is present with me. That's our human battle. Is it not? It's like you, you can go through a day, you can want to have all the good intentions. You, you can have all the right intentions for the day, right? But then it just seems that the more you have right intentions or good intentions, the more you realize how far you are from actually being able to accomplish them. So he sees then, he sees then in 21, Uh, Verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in my members. So he's speaking of two laws now. Okay, we we need to differentiate between these two laws. The law of God in the inner man, I joyfully concur. So he has there's a joy of him that concurs with God's law in the inner man. So there's a part of him that loves to do the right thing. On the other side, he said, I see a different law in my members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind, okay, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So the law that's in his members is the law of sin. So there's a law of sin in his members. And then there's the law of his mind. There's two laws, a law of his mind and a law of sin in his members. Okay, we have to note that there's two different laws that he's talking about here. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. So we have two laws that are being talked about here that makes this conversation very interesting. Okay, so we have the law. Sorry. Law of sin. Okay. Versus law of of mind okay 
So when you see the law of sin versus the law of mind, the law of mind, he says this, delights in God's law. So this is the desire to do good, okay? This is the, the part of you that is willing to do good things, that is willing to do the right thing. This is the law of sin in your members. So he said, the more, the more I had this, the more I tried in my mind to resist and I wanted to do good, the more this happened. The more sin came out. The more I tried, the more sinful I became, in other words. The more I try, the more sinful I become. The more I try to do the law of God, the more sinful I become, okay? And this is his battle because every, every believer or every, every person, I would say in some sense, has this battle that it just really depends with the law, what laws they have in their heart, what value system they have, right, that they're fighting against. But he's saying the more I try to do good, I'm, I have all my effort focused on trying to do this good, to keep God's law, right? The more I try, the more sinful I realize I am. Well, why? Because the more I try and fail, the more I realize how evil I actually am, how there really is no good in me. And this is why people give up in the first place, right? Because they try to do good and they can't. And then the more that they try to do good, guess what happens? the more sinful they realize they are, and the more sinful they realize they are, they disqualify themselves from God. So this is why we have people around us who can know about God, right? This explains a lot. Who, are, who in their best moments will try to live for God, will try to do the right thing, will try to stop sinning, will try to stop falling, will try to, to refrain from doing bad, but guess what? It makes them more sinful. That's important to understand. It makes them more sinful. The more they try, the more sinful they become. Okay? I don't want to hit that over the head a thousand times, but there's the law of the mind versus the law of sin. This is our natural battle. Our willingness to do good, our desire to do good, the more we try, the more the law of sin comes alive. The more we end up realizing how sinful we are, how unable we are to accomplish the right that should be done, the good that, sh that needs to be done. So, and then he says, it's a who that sets him free. Who will set me free? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of death? <coughs> so in Greek, I'm going to mention it. You don't need to know Greek to be saved. But as you learn, as you grow in God, when you understand something in the original language of the Bible, it's going to help certify what you already believe to the point of like, man, my, my faith in what I already believe will become stronger. It'll help that for sure. So now let's go into Romans 8.1 and I have some Greek for you guys. Okay. So Romans 8.1, there is there, there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay? So, right here is one. This Greek phrasing here is ara nan oden katakrima tois Christo isu. Okay? So, it's like this. Just so you can you can say it yourself. Ara nan 
Oden, okay, Kata Krima, Kata, kind of sounds exactly, Krima, Krima, okay, Pois, Christo Isu, so, Christo I. So, ara nan oden katakrima tois Christo isu. I know my, my, my spelling is very bad on here, but this is important to understand, okay? Because Romans 8.1 and chapter 7 are in unison, okay? Romans 8.1 and 7 are in unison. So, 7 what? 7.25 and Romans 8.1 are right after one another. There's a flow in the conversation, okay? Meaning this. Therefore, okay, none, oden. Therefore, so, because of what was just said, because of that battle when you try to do good and you're not able to, because of that battle when you try to refrain from doing bad, and you end up doing the bad that you are... You're trying to stop yourself, but you end up doing it anyways. Because of that battle, okay? That's what therefore means. That's what ara means. Ara, therefore. None, meaning now, at this present moment. Because of that battle, because of what you're going through, because of that back and forth in your head, because of that torture where you're trying to do good and you're not able to, you try to refrain from doing bad, but you do it anyways. Because of that battle... Because of what was just said, at this present time, that's why it says now right there, there is now, no, uden, none, absolutely none, katakrima. What is that? Condemnation, sentencing, with ju judgment with sentencing, meaning that you've been judged and sentenced for your sin. There is no judgment with sentencing, okay? Tois, and this is, there actually should be an end there, I, I Forgot because it says in Christ, which would be in Greek n. So tois n Christoisu meaning this. N meaning in a fixed place. Okay? N, if you're in Christ, that means you're fixed in Christ, right? You're 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 set in Christ. But guess what? You're set in Christ. And then what happens? Because you're set in Christ, at this present time, there is right now. Right now, this is present, right? Right now, there's no judgment with sentencing. For what? For that battle he was just talking about in chapter 7. He was talking about that battle in chapter 7 where he says, I'm trying to do good and can't. I try to stop from doing bad, but I do it anyways. Evil is present with me. I'm in a losing battle. And so he says, guess what? Here's the answer. That even though I'm going through this battle... That at this present moment, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment for what I'm going through. Because I'm, I'm fixed in Christ. Because I'm in Christ. And so here, here's something interesting. Next. He says this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now he's introducing a new law. So remember, we have the law of sin, the law of the mind. Now we have the law 
of the spirit. Okay. Okay. Namos. This is law in Greek. Spirit pneuma. The law. The namos of pneuma. The namos of the law. The, the law of the spirit. What's the law of the spirit? What law sets me free from the law of sin and death? This is the sin and death law here. This battle. If I keep fighting this battle, right? Where like I make a mistake, so I feel far from God, right? And I allow myself to feel far from God. I detach myself from my source of blessing, my source of help, my source of strength, right? What's my answer? It's the law of the spirit. What's the law of the spirit? Romans 8, 1. The law of the spirit is that there's no condemnation Not because you're perfect, not because you're sinless, not because you won't make mistakes, but because of Christ Jesus, because you're in Christ. Okay, this is how you start in the spirit. This is before walking. We're we're, we're talking about being in Christ, being in the spirit. We're not yet talking about walking in the spirit and we're not yet talking about being led of the spirit. Those are all different things because I'm in the spirit. Okay. When I first believe, I I get into the spirit when I first believe. When I first believe what? That I'm right with God by what Jesus did on the cross. That I'm standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, that's how I enter the spirit. Now, it's not talking about walking in the spirit yet. Okay? We're just establishing that the only way to win this battle of life where we're imperfect, we're sinless, we keep falling, we keep stumbling, we keep tripping, we keep making mistakes, right? We keep losing our temper. We keep being angry. We keep being sad. We keep being depressed. We keep being self, self-focused and self-centered and selfish, right? That kind of stuff still comes out. So as long as, as, long as we live, we're going to struggle with these things. So what's the answer? Is that in spite of feeling this, that I would believe because I'm in Christ, that I'm not condemned because of it. Okay? And this is the foundation to walking in the spirit. This is the foundation is that no matter what happens, I'm in Christ. This is the start. And we have to understand this. This is the beginning. So verse three, for what the law could not do, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through flesh. So notice here, it's stating that the law, for into the law of Moses, right, which is the law of sin and death. How do we know? You can go back to chapter 6. And what, what Paul's first words in chapter 6 say, for them that know the law. To, this is, I'm writing to you who know the law. It's referring to the what? The law of Moses. So he's saying, for what the law cannot do, weak as it was through flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Well, why is there no condemnation? Because the condemnation fell upon Jesus. The condemnation of the law, the judgment and sentencing, okay, fell on Jesus. Notice how it's in, when we, when we read Romans, right? No judgment with sentencing. Well, why? Because Jesus had judgment with sentencing. Do you see, do you see the, the, um, there's a certain special word for it, but Greek does a great job of actually making these kinds of, um, um, comparisons, Right? making sure that we understand, okay, on one side, the reason why you have no condemnation is because someone was already had condemnation in your place. (coughs) Then he says here, verse four, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wait a minute. 
so that the requirement of the law may, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds. So if you walk according to the flesh, you set your mind okay, on the things of the flesh. It doesn't say the things of this world. A lot of people like to assume that that's what it's talking about. It says the things of the flesh. That if you're walking according to the flesh, your mind is set on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So those who walk according to the spirit, their mind. So it has something to do with the mind. It's set on what? The things of the spirit. <coughs> now, before we get to the revelation that's here, some of you who, if you know grace just a little bit, you already might be making conclusions in your head of what I'm talking about. But let's understand from a scriptural perspective first what walking in the flesh means. Okay? I want to start there. <coughs> Before we get there, let's finish reading Romans 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The flesh has hard thoughts toward God. It doesn't think well of God. The flesh does not think well of God. The, the flesh does not believe God will come through in a situation. Okay? For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So notice this, that the flesh cannot even subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Even if your flesh wanted to, it can't. Even if your flesh wanted to obey God, it can't. That's what it's saying right there. You see it. But if it's not even able to do so, verse eight, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he <coughs> he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. So you can see here the understanding what it means to walk in the spirit is essential to your body being quickened. The King James says quickened. Right here it says life. So you're already alive, right? So this is not talking about you being already alive. This is talking about adding more life to you. Okay? Let's not forget that we're already alive. We're physically alive. So when it talks about life, there's an added element that God wants to bless us with. Life? You ever been on a mountain where you're like, this is life, right? It's that and more. There's a moment of, uh, no, like you, you go through a situation, you know, babies are born or situations happen, right? Some positive things happen around you. And you're like, man, this is life, right? That's how we think. It's like, this is life. This is what life should be. And so when you see life here, you're not just talking about being alive. You're talking about, no, there's, there's a, the spirit of God gives life in addition to you already being alive. Okay, so we want to understand what that blessing is as well. <coughs> if Christ is in you, oh, sorry, verse 11, verse 12, sorry. So then, brethren, we are under, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
So if you're living in the spirit, if you're walking in the spirit, the byproduct is the deeds of the flesh die. The deeds of the body, the death of, to the you are putting to death the deeds of the body. The deeds of the body die if you're walking in the spirit. So we really want to know what walking in the spirit is, but we first we're going to start with walking in the flesh. Let's prove in the Bible what walking in the flesh means because we don't want to just take one verse, create a doctrine and say, okay, well, this is what walking in the flesh means, right? We understand the law of the spirit. The law of the spirit is that there's no condemnation for those who are fixed in Christ. The word and here just means to be in a fixed position. You're not moved. I'm in Christ. I'm not moved. I'm in Christ. So because I'm in Christ, right? There's no condemnation. It's, it's impossible. The nun oden means it's utterly impossible. Okay. It's not possible to be condemned in Christ because it would be wrong of God to condemn you when he already condemned Christ for your sin. If you're believing in Christ and God condemns us for sin, it would be wrong of God to condemn us because he already condemned Jesus. We serve a just God. We serve a very thorough God who doesn't leave any room for error in our thinking about what he did where he doesn't base our sa our salvation or us being blessed based on us. He bases it on the fact that Jesus paid. Is that enough? Yes, it's always enough. When does it stop being enough? Never. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. A lot of people misconstrue that part too. So let's start in Galatians, okay? So in Galatians, you can kind of see the writing's a little small here. I'll read it out loud to you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, there's actually people that want to be under the law. Okay. Do you not listen to the law? He's a little sarcasm here, right? Listen. Tell me. You, you guys who want to be under the law. What does being under the law mean? It means you're blessed because of your obedience. And it means you're cursed because of your lack of obedience. Okay. For those of you that want to be blessed because of your obedience... And for those of you that want to be cursed because you can't obey or you didn't obey, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. So he makes it, he's making this analogy about the law right now using the story of Abraham. Remember, here's a Bible interpreting the Bible situation, right? But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. So we have, to, we have to go and really understand that situation. Because guess what? That son, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And the son by the free woman through promise. So the son, Isaac, who was born by Sarah, okay? She was born of promise. It's, it's the opposite of being born of the flesh. One is born of the flesh. One is born of the spirit. Okay. One is born of the flesh, Ishmael. The other is born of the spirit, Isaac. So now, Abraham has a wife named Sarah. Okay. Um, and God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they'll have a child. They're already old in age. It doesn't happen. Sarah says, Abraham, sleep with a handmaid. Make us a child. So Abraham doesn't even argue. He just goes and does it. Bible doesn't show that he showed any resistance. He goes and he does it. He has a child, okay, named Ishmael. He names him Ishmael, okay? But God said 
God ended up telling Abraham, that's not the promise. So what did Abraham do? With his own works, right? Through his own effort, he tried to make it happen on his own. Okay? And that's what being born according to the flesh means in this context. One was born through self-effort. One was born by promise. It didn't require effort. It's just because God said it, it was going to happen. Because God said it, it was going to happen. So then it says, this is, an alleg- this is allegorically speaking, for these two women are two covenants. So it's actually going to make the analogy now. The Bible is going to make the analogy by itself, which is very cool. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. So if you're born of self-effort, you're born to be a slave. You're born from Mount Sinai. You're of the law. It's making that comparison that if you're from Ishmael, if you are trying to earn God's blessings, you're trying to work for them, you're trying to deserve them, you're trying to make them happen on your own, right? What ends up happening? The Bible says that's according to the flesh. So when we see according to the flesh, we're now looking at self-effort, okay? On the other hand, she is, and it says she is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds or is an analogy, the analogy is with, to the present Jerusalem, which is like Mount Zion, okay? To the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother, speaking to the believers. We're not under Hagar. We're not under self-effort. We're not under trying to make God's promises happen on our own. We're not under being right with God according to the obedience of the commandments. We're not under that. We're under Mount Zion. So Mount Zion is here. Let's read about Mount Zion. For it is written, rejoice barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And so the Bible is initiating here on this part is that Sarah is the more blessed one, even though she's desolate. Even though she can't have a baby, she is more blessed than Hagar. Because it says, the children of the desolate will be more than the one who has a husband. Speaking of Ishmael being born. Speaking of Hagar being able to have a child. Okay? So, the blessings of promise being under righteousness by faith are more Okay, than the blessings of the law. Not only that, is that you have to be desolate. You have to come to God desolate. It's not in me, God. It's nothing in me that, that deserves blessing. I'm desolate. I have nothing. There's no way it's going to happen. There's no way that she was able to have a baby in her old age, biologically speaking. So it was a miracle. So when they saw the baby, it was like, this is a miracle, right? Only God could make it happen. So you see that situation where it's, it's about the, ch- the children of the, the... The desolate woman will have more children. The person who relies on righteousness by faith, the person who lives in faith and believes, even though they do not see, even though it's impossible, even though it's like, how am I right with God when I keep sinning? That's impossible. That's impossible under the law. Under righteousness by faith, it's trusting that it's enough. Jesus was enough. 
it can you see it are you there to see to see it happen did you see the divine transaction that happened for your sins none of us did even the people in that moment didn't see it you didn't get to see the actual divine transaction happening you got to see jesus die on the cross those people did but they didn't see the reality of the payment for sins and what that really meant this is why he was the god man this is why he was divine and human because his payment is now divine it reaches across time past present and future this is important if he's just a man then it just reach, then it's just within the co- the context of the flesh so here's the beautiful part and you brethren like isaac are children of promise so we believers right believers in christ are um, children of promise <coughs> but as at that at that time he who was born according to the flesh wait a minute ishmael was born according to the flesh okay self-effort right persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so it is now also so Here's the thing. Here's the battle. Is it when you really embrace grace and you really believe that you're saved and you're securing your salvation, right? And you're unshakable. You know what people are going to do? Persecute you. Do you think they were persecuted because they had a, a, they had a, a, a religion and a faith that was based on their effort? No, because that's how the world works. That's the spirit of the world. It's based on effort, right? They were persecuted, okay? And Paul was even um, spoken against as saying that grace, oh, he was using grace as a a license to be licentious, to do whatever you want. So even Paul had people misunderstanding his message. Even Paul had people misunderstanding his message. So people are going to misunderstand us the way they misunderstood Paul. What's the, what, why aren't more preachers being accused of, preach, of preaching license to sin? Because they're not preaching what Paul preached. So the more we get closer to preaching what Paul preached, the more we're going to get the same results, the persecution, the people coming at us and saying, no, 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 there's no way. No, like, I don't believe your stuff, and they treat you bad because of it, because you believe in security. You believe that you can only walk right when you're secure. Then it says this, exactly. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. This is why Paul in this cha- in this book says, foolish Galatians, who's put a spell on you? Basically saying, you Galatians who want to go back to the law are dumb. Not only are you dumb, it's almost like somebody put a spell on you. Did someone put a spell on you? That you're so easily moved to going back to works, to thinking that you're right with God by what you do. Right? Then he says this. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Genesis 22. This is God speaking. He said, take now your son, your only son. He doesn't acknowledge Ishmael. Because in this context, Isaac's already older. Whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So notice this, how he's saying God is only acknowledging one son. Mm -hmm. He's not acknowledging Ishmael, even though there's two sons, Mm -hmm. right? God does not acknowledge 
the person. This is why, if we go back to Romans, it talked about those who are of the law, okay, who are under the law of sin and death, basically, they're dead. They're dead. It's almost like God can't see them. Because if God starts looking at them, guess what comes next? His wrath. Because they're approaching God with what? The idea that if I do these things, I'm right. If I um, fell in these, that I'm not right. <coughs> so, Romans 7, 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. So the flesh is aroused by what? The law. The flesh gets stronger the more legalistic we become. We're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So a lot of people think the, the works of the flesh, because of Galatians, the end of this chapter, um, it talks about the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh being like adultery, um, fornication, right? Different sins. It talks about the works of the flesh being sins. But what they don't see is that it says works of the flesh. Almost like fruit of the spirit. They're in contrast to the fruit of the spirit, Right? So there's the spirit and it has its fruit. When you're under works, right? Works of, this is what happens in your flesh. When you're under a works mentality, this is what happens in your flesh. Okay? So before there's ever a breakout of sin, there's a works mentality. There's self-dependence. There's self-effort. There's a focus on, uh, on pride, on ego, on, um, on ability, on talent, on self. On, it's just, it's all about what you do and don't do, right? It's not focused on whether or not God promised something. It's focused on making it happen. Now, Romans 4.1 says this. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, uses the same phrasing, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what shall we say then, Abraham, our forefather? What, what did he find? What has he found according to the flesh? Nothing. He didn't find anything according to the flesh. That's what it's saying. He didn't find nothing because it says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to boast about. But you don't see Abraham boasting except in the Lord. Because he was under being credited righteousness. Okay, now let's let's add on to this. We must have no confidence in our own achievements. The world requires self-confidence. You're going to notice that the world to be successful in business and to do this, they're going to want to hire the people that are the most confident. Okay, but (coughs) we can't have confidence in our own achievements, in our own ability. So here's an example. Moses at 40 was the most capable man in his time. A man who tried to help his people, but failed. At 40, Moses tried to help his people. Did you know that? He murdered an Egyptian on behalf of an Israelite. He tried to help his people. He did. But the Bible says in Acts, Stephen says that Moses was mighty in words. Okay. History says from Josephus, this is what history says about Moses, is that Moses was mighty in deeds. Moses was, Moses was known in history, not just by the Bible. 
but by many other historical books and contexts, right? We don't rely on all of that. But what we're saying is that Mo- what I'm saying is Moses was mighty in words and in deeds at the age of 40, but God could not use him. Moses had an education, okay, from his mother. So he knew about his people. Moses was raised by his own mother in the house of Pharaoh. But you would probably know that he probably also had an education like the Egyptians. So he was a man that was very, very smart. Okay, but he gets to the point. It's not until he says he gets to the point where God doesn't use him in that situation. He leaves. He ends up in the, he ends up in the desert. And then it's not until he says to God, God calls him. Right. God knows exactly where he's at. And then Moses out of nowhere is starting to say, I can't speak. I can't speak so much so that Moses actually initiates Aaron to speak on him on a numerous amount of occasions. He sends Aaron to speak. He sends Aaron to do this, Aaron to say that, Aaron to say. So <laughs> if we, and, and here's, so here's the thing that I wanted to point out and specifically for the church is like, if we only have talented leaders in a church, then we are setting up for failure for God's kingdom. It's okay to be talented, but you must understand where it comes from and to not rely on it. Because what ends up happening is that if we put people that are only talented in, in leadership or as pastors, then they're going to rely on their own ability. Which would make our church so unmiraculous. Because it would be dependent on ability. We're only going to we're only going to hire people or work with people or put people in leadership who have the ability to do it. Right. Instead of trusting the grace of God to work through them. Right. Or instead of a initiating people who have a sense of no no whatever talent i do have is nothing it all comes from god right and that's more that's more that's less said and it's more felt right that you you have that feeling you can feel that in somebody so i actually added this part to the bible study today that god really put this on my spirit to talk about uh first timothy four one through three and we're going to go through three through and four through six as well um now the spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God had created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So notice this, how the doctrines of devils, the seducing spirits, right, are what? Forbidding. Forbidding. They're associated with forbidding to marry, forbidding to eat. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's, it's a so, doctrines of devils are associated with a form of legalism that tries to control man's behavior. That's in the scriptures. And let's go deeper. So, hysterios, karios, apostonotai. So here's the thing. Here's what it said. Here's what here's here's it's in the later times in later times. Okay, people will depart from justification by faith. To what? Why would they leave justification by faith? Why would they stop believing that they're right with God solely based on Jesus and that alone? Because here's what here's what happens. They end up what? Speaking lies and hypocrisy. And so if you notice here, I actually did this little etymology. So this is called etymology, breaking down the words. 
hypocrisis. So if you go back to the phrasing, speaking lies in hypocrisy, speaking lies while being under condemnation. So go back to the word under crisis. Remember kata krima, right? Krima is condemnation. It's where we get under condemnation. Kata meaning under, okay? So, so you're talking about being in condemnation here. You're not in condemnation, right? You're not judged. You're not condemned. So hypocrisy in the Bible is actually being under condemnation. We're hypocrites. We turn to be hypocrites when we're under condemnation, when we're under the sense that we are judged. Then it says pseudo logos or logon, which is word. Logos, where we get the word, lo, where we get the word, word, logos. Pseudo is where we say like, you know how someone is being pseudo spiritual? Pseudo meaning like they're projecting, like they're not really spiritual because they have no character, but they're projecting. Oh, I pray a lot. I do a lot. Right. That's where we get the word pseudo from. So it's false words. So they're speaking false words while being under judgment. Okay. Then they're categorized. They remain categorized because that's what the word being seared is. In their what? In their perception, in their full perception, in their full conscience, they are burning. They remain under burning. Because when it's talking about being categorized, so you can see the words here, pseudo, logon, hypo, crisis, right? And you're looking at all the, the, the menon, and you're looking at sin. Sin means synergy, like together, right? Edo, perception. You, in the etymology, it spells out a battle against a works mentality. It spells out a battle against a works mentality. Is it the reason we become hypocrites, right? These people, what were they doing? Speaking lies in hypocrisy. So they were falsely saying words because they were under judgment and because their conscience was under constant condemnation. Condemnation is what makes a conscience seared. Is what makes someone hard hearted. So, you know, when people are like, oh, I'm numb and I don't feel anything. They felt a lot of condemnation in their past, a lot of judgment, a lot of feeling condemned. A lot of hurt to the point where they no longer feel. So what is Timothy saying? In the later times, some will depart from righteousness by faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits. What are their seducing spirits? They want to bring you to a form of hypocrisy. Staying under judgment. Staying under condemnation. Keeping you there. That's what it's all about for the devil. That's what it's all about for the devil. And then starting to forbid. If you are like, if you have a bunch of like young people and you just forbid, 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 just like Romans 7 says, you're going to make their flesh more active. Instead of teaching them to walk in the spirit, which we're going to learn next, right? We haven't got there yet. <coughs> but this is walking in the flesh. This is the result of walking in the flesh. Walking in self-effort. Being a believer and walking in self-effort is one of the most dangerous things because it leads you to being a hypocrite. To getting, to getting to a point where you stay 
you remain under the burning of your conscience and under the judgment that you have not met God's standard. Do you see how beautiful like this stuff can be, right? When properly spoken about, when, when, when read in context, because you're literally, a lot of people use these verses for other stuff. I've heard this verse used for, well, be careful for seducing spirits, right? The spirit of the world's going to come in and they speak about all that stuff. Like if it's worldly music or if it's, yeah, yeah. Some, some of those things are bad. <coughs> we're not saying things aren't bad, but we're want, we want to correctly understand what the Bible's saying is a seducing spirit. Being persuaded that you are justified or right with God by your works is a seducing spirit. And here's the thing. A lot of times, um, this is where that fine line comes in, right? Because we don't want to be the people that just go around like accusing everyone of being under a seducing spirit who's under a works mentality, right? There's a level of grace we need to have. But for those who claim to be something in God and who walk under that, that's where we, we are going to be a little stronger against. When someone has a claim to know the word and, and, and a confidence, oh no, you guys know nothing, like because you guys believe that security stuff, right? We're going to come strong against that. Okay? But when someone doesn't really know that they're under a works mentality, you got to be very gentle with them. Be graceful, right? Because they don't know. They're not aware. All they know is that their conscience hurts. It's under a burning. All they know is that they feel condemned and they feel judged because they can't meet God's standard. And that's where we're going to win them. We're not going to win them in debating grace versus law, right? We're going to win them by understanding what's in their conscience, how their heart feels because of their lack of ability to obey God. And talk to them about that. Relate with them on that because we all know, we all know how that feels. Okay? So, um, 1 Timothy uh, is 4 and six, four through 6 says, for, ev- for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. So yeah, they're going to preach these doctrines of devils, forbidding, 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 right? And But nothing's to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and of prayer. And this is why we pray for our food, right? If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So because we're talking about this, right? There's a, there's a beauty here. What God is saying is if you're, if you're sharing this with people and you're helping people understand this, you're a good minister of Jesus, nourished up in the words of faith. The words of faith bring life. Living according to the flesh, walking according to the flesh doesn't. Does not bring life. The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. Only one person can live it. Jesus. Only one person can live it. And this is why we need to let Jesus live through us. Instead of in a situation of trusting how you feel about something, surrender. God, I don't know the answer in this moment. I don't have, I don't have the confidence to, to, to get this cell, as an example. I don't have the confidence to, um, to refuse this temptation. I don't have the, the power to refuse um, um, this, this manipulation, Right? I'm afraid that if I tell the truth, this will happen, right? There's all these fears, but it's surrender to God and saying, God, like, I'm, as, I, as I begin to speak, this, speak the truth, is that I know that I'm trusting that you'll come in. You'll make it worth something. 
right? It's a trust, a complete trust on him for the performance of good. Now, what is walking in the spirit? Here's what it's not being perfect. Walking in the spirit is not being perfect. It's not being sensitive to God. It's not a life of prayer. It's not a life of fasting. It's not a life of consecration, etc. There's many things that people will say are walking in the spirit. These are things that help when you're being led of the spirit, which is another conversation. Being led of the spirit is an entirely different conversation than walking in the spirit. Being led assumes you're already walking. So let's first learn how to walk. So we know that how we become in the spirit, right? We're in Christ Jesus. We have faith in the cross. Now, how do we walk in that? Romans 8, 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk. So the word walk here is the Greek word peripatia, which is like meaning to be preoccupied with or to be occupied with. Okay. So let's kind of read to be occupied with into the into the sentence so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not who do not or who are not occupied according to the flesh but who are occupied according to the spirit occupied with what is the question what am i occupied with what is it am i literally going to walk and then i'm in the spirit right no 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 it's not talking about a literal walk i'm talking about literally walking right like going down the street, right, to the store real quick. We're talking about something happening where? Here, here's where it happens. But according to the Spirit, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds. Here again, here's two references. Walking, being occupied. How do you be occupied with something? Where does that happen? That happens in the mind. Okay? <coughs> with things that are things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What, what is the thing, what is the thing of the spirit that this whole chapter is talking about? To walk in the spirit is to be occupied that no matter what happens each and every day that I'm not condemned. It's that simple. To walk in the spirit means to be completely occupied with the fact that because of Jesus' death on the cross, I'm not condemned. That's what walking in the spirit is. It's that simple. Now, if you want to talk about being led, it's different. There's, there's other elements that come into being led of the spirit, right? That comes to the living life and all that stuff, right? Living like in, in God being real in certain moments. But when you come to this part, <coughs> we're talking about if I'm preoccupied with my own effort, what happens? Self-occupation. It's self-occupation. I'm occupied with my own efforts and what I need to do to be right with God or what I need to do to please God. Paul says the more I try, the more I sin. So the more that I'm occupied with myself, with my own effort in the trying and the trying and the trying and the trying, the more I end up in the flesh, the more then I have a I result in a breakout of the works of the flesh. So, keep going. Sorry, that's in Spanish. <coughs> Learning to walk is essential to being led of the Spirit. So, 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. So here, here kind of throws the idea out that we only need to hear things once, right? Oh, you only, I only need to hear it once, and then I'm like, I'm good. Like, I don't need to hear any more of this grace, right? No, we need to. Paul says that he's here. He's like, it's no trouble for me to write to you again, and it's actually a safeguard for you, for me to keep talking to you about this stuff. Um, beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These people are not walking in the flesh. They're not occupied with what I must do. How can I obey more? How can I obey more? Right? The more you are occupied with obedience, the more likely you are to fall into sin. And here's the, here's the thing. This is the, This is the radical part. This is the part that just kind of like makes everything kind of confusing but not so much if you really pay attention to it is that the more I focus on obedience the more I realize how incapable I am of obeying which makes me more sinful to myself I'm able to see the sinfulness of myself because if I focus strictly on obedience when I fell which will be inevitable, right? The condemnation for that will be much greater. The guilt, the shame of my failure because I was so zealous to do the right, right? And you can see even Paul, he was so zealous to do the right thing in the law that he murdered. He became a murderer. So his legalism led him to being a murderer. That's kind of what what it's saying is when you walk in the flesh, when you walk in self-effort, when you walk under the law, that leads to the wayward sins. Okay? That made his desire to murder stronger the more zealous he was for God's law, even though, even though God's law says don't murder. It's not until he gets in the spirit, right? Until he's converted, that what happens? Is that all of his effort is put on justification by faith. I'm right with God by faith. By faith, he's the one preaching it. He's the one teaching it. And guess what? Churches are being built everywhere. The fruit is insurmountable. It's uncountable what God was doing through him because his effort was solely focused on what? If, if he, him being a murderer, he had to believe that the only way he could be right with God was by grace. You can hear memoirs of people who've actually committed murders and they say that thing does not leave your soul. It does not leave you that sense of what you've done, the guilt from that. I read an article today about a 21-year-old who when was 19 murdered her best friend and basically for all these years in jail never forgets it, still sticks with her and her soul to this day. So you can imagine that when Paul is sitting there talking about justification by faith, like this guy probably really means it and really needs it the most. (coughs) To believe that he's still right with God even though he did that. Even though he cost other people their lives. Right? So there's, there's a good example in Paul of this whole thing. But we always look at Paul from a different view. And we always try to like focus on the works that he did. And, and works, 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 right? But 
He goes down. He keeps saying, although I myself might have 